Bring in the perverts. Bring in the perverts. Welcome to the Film to Film, uh, Bird with the Crystal Plumage uh, podcast. Uh, we, uh, I am joined here by my good friend, uh, Inyaki Linero. How are you doing, Inyaki? Doing pretty well. How about you, James? I'm doing all right. And we have a special guest today, the first guest on the Film to Film podcast, uh, my other good friend, uh, here, also based here in Seattle, uh, Meet Cha. How are you doing, Meet? Hey, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So today we are going to be talking about the 1970 uh, film. So this film is now over 50 years old. Um, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. um, Very um, important signature giallo film. Um, So me, uh, this is, I think, the first giallo film that you've watched, unless you've been secretly watching some stuff without my approval. (laughs) Um, So... uh, I'm going to give you just a little bit of background uh, before we really dive in um, to the film. Yeah. So giallos, um, they are, uh, it's, it actually literally means yellow in Italian. Um, they are named after sort of these yellow paperback pulp novels that were there. And they sort of stand halfway in between thriller and, um, and sort of like an Agatha Christie, Edgar Wallace novel. So it's sort of, uh, that, that is sort of the context of them. Uh, Inyaki and I did just uh, review a couple of them um, a month or so or so ago. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let's get into it. Um, uh, Inyaki, you want to start us off? What were your um, general impressions of the bird with the crystal plumage? I I, I enjoyed it actually. It was a pretty good uh, movie. It was good mystery in general. You want to just like the, the previous movies that we've seen, like uh, on the Jello side, you know, you kind of want to know what's going to happen next. Uh, the music was a little. Uh, the, it had a little bit of uh, the hor- horror tones with, with the music, which was fun. Uh, although it got kind of silly sometimes, uh, but uh, overall enjoyable. I'd say, yeah. Yeah. Oh, what about you, Meet? What were your uh, general thoughts on the film? Did you like it? Yeah, I'd say. I'd say I came out with mixed feelings. Uh, I haven't. Uh, yeah, like you said, I haven't seen any Jello films before. Actually, I, I was trying to recall whether I'd seen any Italian films before either, and, and I don't think I have uh, seen anything Italian other than um, Inglorious Bastards. Margarete. <laughs> Anyways. Well, I, I suspect you've actually secretly <laughs> um, seen some, um, like The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Um, that's an Italian film. You seen that? I actually haven't properly watched The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Have you ever ugly. seen a, oh, a wow. Fistful, fistful yeah. of Dollars or uh, what's the other one? Uh, my god i'm just uh, gonna disappoint everybody form. right now <laughs> wow all right <laughs> but all right. yeah yeah well that, i have that's seen fine. indian version of the good the bad and the ugly which is <laughs> is pretty great in in its own way but it's it i imagine it's kind of different than the wow good, the bad, we, we the should ugly. i mean i know this is completely off topic but we should 100 mm-hmm. percent do the italian good bad and the ugly the korean good bad and the ugly and the indian good bad and the ugly <laughs> that sounds like a great idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Yaki, are you talking about the good, the bad, and the weird when you say the Korean yep. one, or are you just talking about like? I okay, that's that's what I thought he was talking about too. Yeah. I mean, like okay. you know, it, it's what so, it's, 
it's supposed to be sort of its own remake in a way. Okay. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Well, um, I I also uh, enjoy this film. Uh, it's not personally my absolute favorite Giallo film, um, but it's one that I definitely um, appreciate and do enjoy. And I think it's uh, a good one um, to visit. Uh, I think it has a lot of the characteristic tropes there. Um, and a lot of enjoyable um, aspects, especially a lot of the technical traits to the film. All right, so, um, okay, so let's, a little bit of background. Um, so this is the uh, debut film of uh, Italian film director Dario Argento, who was 29 uh, when he made this film, so really, really young. Um, he had previously been a critic. Um, he wrote for like a left-leaning uh, newspaper and was one of the few critics at that time that actually um, liked some of the Italian genre cinema. So that's kind of what we're talking about, like the Italian westerns, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, Fistful of Dollars. Um, and he was one of the writers on uh, the follow-up to The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly um, for Sergio Leone, Once Upon a Time in the West. Um, his dad was in the industry, which I think is probably one of the big reasons he was able to get the space and, and stuff to direct this film. Um, Inyaki, you referenced the score a little bit earlier, um, and uh, the, uh, the score, of course, is done by one of perhaps the most iconic film composer of all time, Ennio Morricone, mm-hmm. um, who uh, brings a very different score to it than uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, which he had done just a few years before. Um, but he was originally not supposed to direct this, um, but he apparently was so picky about which director to get that his father just said, all right, you just direct this your, yourself. So that's how he ended up um, getting into it. All right, so let's go real quickly into a synopsis, which I did a quick Google search of. So I'm going to read this out loud, and uh, either Inyaki or me, you can tell me if this is a good one. Uh, all right, so an American writer, Sam Dalmas, is living in Rome with his girlfriend, Julia. While visiting an art gallery, Sam witnesses an unsuccessful murder attempt by a mysterious figure. As the assailant is believed to be an infamous serial killer, Sam quickly begins becomes a key witness in the ongoing police investigation. After he begins searching for clues that may help him identify the killer, Sam discovers that he may be the next intended victim. Uh, Meat, is that a good good synopsis? Sound about right? That sounds good. Except, like... The... Does uh, does Sam start becoming a detective himself, or is it like the Morrisoni puts him off on to become the detective, more or less? Uh, yeah, so like nitpicking here. Okay. No, I mean it's, it's a fair yeah. it's a fair nitpick. I'd say it was it was too long. This is much longer than our our normal <laughs> summary. Yeah. Yeah, should have just been. What would you have changed it to, Inyagi? Uh, I don't know. I mean, from top, I mean. I'm just, first of all, I'm joking, but I mean, our summaries have always been yeah, okay. like one sentence, two on top, uh, tops. This one was like an, a paragraph. Okay. But I mean, okay. if, if I were to say anything, it would be like an American uh, witness an attempted murder in Italy, and he gets involved in the investigation of it. Done. <laughs> that's, that's pretty close to the summary. Uh, on IMDb right at the top. Yeah, so. I'd, I'd, I'd say that's nice. probably just an appropriate summary, so a little bit too much TMI in this one. Too much text. Um, okay, so at, yeah. so, um, at the time, uh, this uh, had a budget of about half a million dollars. It had three times the box office, so it made a bunch of money. It was very successful both domestically and abroad, um, 
and it really began the Giallo boom. So, Inaki, the two Giallos we watched before, The Girl Who Knew Too Much and Blood and Black Lace, they're really kind of precursors to this. They were not particularly successful, so they didn't have the same sort of influence that this film had. And it sparked all kinds of um, interesting uh, trends in the Italian film industry, especially. Um, a lot of uh, the Italian Giallo films after this one had weird animals in their name, and they also tended to be very long titles. Ooh. So there was like such titles as Lizard and a Woman's Skin, uh, Cat of Nine Tails, Four Flies on Gray Velvet, um, Your Vice is a Locked Room, and Only I Have the Key. So there's a bunch of bizarre titles. So I have a question for you, Inyaki. Should should more films be called have these bizarro titles that Giallos do? I mean, like, is this a trend worth bringing back? I, I think this one, the title was okay. It kind of was kind of uh, sort of related to the movie. Uh, some of the titles you were mentioning, maybe not. Those are too long. Although. Uh, <laughs> They are certainly uh, As someone who has lived with uh, translated films, which titles are also translated, um, you know, many times Spanish uh, Spanish translations are pretty damn long. Like, an American movie might have a two-word title, and the Spanish translation will have, like, a six-word title. <laughs> so, you know, you never know. So, so in those cases, are you more in favor with the sort of truncated title, or, or do you think they should do like the longer, uh, more direct translation? It depends. It's whichever is most poetic. Okay. Well, there you go. Um, was it, this was this sort of a word-to-word -word translation of whatever it was titled in yeah. Italian? I believe it was, yeah. I, I do okay. think the Italian title was quite long, too, so I'm not sure if there was a huge difference in um, in syllables or words or anything. Uh, I mean, uh, Plume, okay. it, it could be... You know, I looked at the translation, and it would be this... Basically, it would be either the bird with the crystal, crystal plumage or the bird with the crystal feathers. Same thing, basically. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Meet, where are you as far as the title? Oh. Are you a fan of Bird with the Crystal Plumage? It's a very memorable title, uh, or do you think it's too long or, or not your favorite? It, it definitely is. I, I guess I was kind of looking for the significance of the title or the relevance of the Bird with Crystal, crystal Plumage with a, a, with a little more kind of, I guess, with a little more relevance than, than there was in the movie. So I was kind of thinking more along the lines of Maltese Falcon or something, and and it was not quite the same yeah. thing. Yeah, it, yeah, it no, was it's just a quick shot of what is the species they call Hornitas nivalis <laughs> in the movie, I guess. <laughs> and um, that's not an actual species. The one that they they actually shot was supposedly a gray-crowned crane, but yeah. Well. Anyways, good to uh, know. Good to know. I mean, actually, <laughs> to piggyback on on me on this one, I, I I would say, yeah, this title is not very poetic. It's something very on the nose, on just the plot twist mm -hmm. that has nothing to do with the movie, but for the fact that it's a bird. Uh, which yeah, it feels kind of random. Doesn't yeah, it? I mean, in a way, it's because I mean, like, I, I was just thinking of you know, one speaking of long titles, I was thinking like once flew over the cuckoo's nest. Right, like that's a, that's a long t title, mm. and in fact, that's never referenced in that movie. However, it's understood through the mm. context. It's sort of a poetic view of what's happening in that movie. 
here. Yeah. What's the Spanish title of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? No idea. I don't remember. Okay. No idea. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you're saying? Oh, basically, in this case, the title is neither poetic nor really relevant. It's just, oh, this this happened. We're gonna title this this. <laughs> okay. All right. That's fair. Um, I I like the title personally. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, it's slightly poetic, at least. I mean, it's a very memorable title. It is. It um, is. It, it's, mm -hmm. it's one you're not going to forget easily. Um, I think they, the Italians probably did overdo it a little bit with some of their titles after that. Uh, once you get beyond, like, five syllables, I think that's just too many um, as far as these go. Um, okay, well, uh, me. So a little bit about this. Um, these giallos are really known to have a very stylized look at stuff. A lot of uh, people, um, myself included, really like these films due to a lot of the technical things. So things like the cinematography, um, seeing Europe and stuff like that. I, I think they do, um, they're almost like, a, you wouldn't be able to do a direct control replace uh, with these films and like put them in like Houston or something like that, like an American city. Um, they're really, really tied with that sort of geography. Um, so um, uh, as someone uh, that likes to uh, travel to Europe, uh, how did you like um, sort of the sets and the set design and stuff there? Uh, I quite liked it. I was gonna say I didn't. It didn't seem familiar to any of the places that I've visited. Like, so I don't know what city this was shot in specifically. It was in but Rome. But seemed like a. It was in Rome. Yeah, oh, wow. that's right. So yeah. must have been like some, some very specific part of the Rome because, Rome today feels very different than the part of the Rome that I visited. Um, almost seems like some of the smaller parts of the, the France, the suburbs in Paris that I've visited. Um, but I like I liked how it looked. I also thought it when you said said the stylization and stuff. I thought they did some interesting things with the lights in different scenes, and and you know trying to do things in dark set settings and low lights, and and being able to shoot that. So especially in the end when he's chasing the, um, trying to look for his girlfriend and stuff. Yeah, I'm. I'm also a fan of uh, a lot of the nighttime scenes, and I think that last set piece is uh, really good. But uh, before we move on to that, we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Uh, Inyaki, what sure. was your? Uh, did you have an opinion on sort of the look and feel of the I film? Mean, I, I like to look and feel. Uh, just I, I know again. Just said you were going to talk last, but I, I do. I do enjoy that actually many of the shots were not even nighttime. There was more of a twilight period where you still have some that sort of that blue you have the lights on from the shops but you still sort of, sort of have uh, some sort of you know natural light coming from 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 the sky uh, I thought they did a really good job at, at encapsulating that moment uh, which you know it's 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 difficult to do in, in, on film and, uh, and this director also did it in, in moments where people were trying to murder people which was also you know, you got this beautiful lighting. Uh, a lot of the films seem to be around that time or later at night kind of times. Mm -hmm. um, at least whenever they were outdoors, especially. So. Yeah. Right, yeah. Um, I always imagine, I think, do all of the murders happen at night? Or is it, um, I mean, certainly the first set piece, which I guess is technically not a, a murder does, but um, the first stock and slash does as well as the finale. Uh, the finale, I feel like, 
it fits kind of what you were saying, uh, both of you actually, uh, where it's like, it seems like that sequence is starting to take place like in late afternoon. And then by the time that the film ends, it's, it's fully nighttime or just starting to be nighttime. Yeah. Um, 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 yeah, the, the other, other murders also do happen in the evening night times. So it's definitely dark outside. That's, those are the things that I kind of really liked when the, I think the first, first victim that gets murdered and then like before she gets murdered as the, as you see, she goes into her apartments and then like all of a sudden you see a silhouette of the killer mm -hmm. show up on the screen on the right side. It's pretty yeah. interesting how they make, make that person obvious all of a sudden. Yeah. But it seemed like that, that, that the killer was standing right there. Yeah, the killer's always yeah. kind of lurking when the when, like, sort of shows out of the mm -hmm. shadows. Yeah. yeah. Uh, these films, in many ways, are sort of precursors to slasher films, um, which is a very, very American film genre. Um, I'll, I'll ask you both questions about this. Um, uh, well, Inyaki, you have something to say? One thing about this movie that... It, I mean, it mm -hmm. really reminded me of a Hitchcock film also stylistically yeah. speaking so I mean like mm -hmm. uh, and this could be a good and a bad in the sense that like whether it was plot and also sometimes imagery it did feel it, I don't know it reminded me a lot of Psycho um, yeah and, and Psycho also even though it's black and white Psycho also takes advantage of those twilight periods when you know uh, Bates is sinking the car that's like a, it's not in the middle of the day but it's like either a dawn or dusk uh, this film sort of felt felt the same way it's like all they took they took advantage of those those time periods to have those outside shots right. yeah I think the Hitchcock influence is definitely um, there in many ways it feels like a more uh, modernized uh, form of Hitchcock uh, like a lot of the stuff and the technology they use like I, I always imagine sort of like the camera and how they show like the the stalking and, and like the photo taking and stuff like mm -hmm. that um uh that is very uh i don't know it feels very modern like i i feel like they wouldn't have done that in hitchcock's era hitchcock may have done it if he came in sort of a later era but um it, it feels like a lot of that sort of skeletal structure is there from uh, alfred hitchcock and and then it sort of builds upon it a little bit with more uh modern uh technology um, so I was going to say, um, so definitely a precursor to the slasher film. Uh, Inyaki, you are a fan of horror films. Uh, you have seen your fair share. Me, you are not a fan of horror films. Um, so I was going <laughs> uh, to ask you, uh, did you, A, uh, do you consider this film a horror film? And B, was it um, scary at all? There were definitely some intense moments, but I, I personally didn't find it scary. Um, I think it, you could call it a horror. You could, I think there was definitely no, certainly no supernatural element to this. And so like, that's, that's where like the line between thriller and horror kind of starts to blur for me is when like, if you have supernatural, then it's like certainly horror, but if you don't have anything, then it's, it's kind of not very clear. Um, and so I think I would, I would probably put this more towards thriller of a film okay but yeah. it was it was very entertaining it was not scary I, these are the kind of films that i would i would totally watch as opposed to 
yeah, um, Exorcist right. or some, some like, like a straight horror film. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. I'm kind of in the same boat. Um, I don't particularly enjoy being super scared. For me, this film is also not very scary. Uh, I think even compared to Psycho, I think Psycho is scarier than this, this film. Um, but uh, that's probably like the closest comparison I could make. Um, Inyaki, how do you fit this film into sort of like slashers or horror in general? Is it is it a horror? Is it is it is it? A, can you see slasher? Well, I mean, it's one hundred percent a thriller. Uh, I wouldn't. I mean, there are horror elements uh, for sure. I mean, you got the deranged killer who is killing for no fucking reason. I mean, that's a very classic horror thing. And I mean, Psycho is considered horror, thus. You know, Definitely. like uh, this would be within, could be within that category. There. With, with that said, this is more of you know a, a psycho horror, as in it's slow. I mean, and, and yeah, I would agree with you that psycho it's a little bit more scary than this one. Uh, in that, the main focus is not so much the killing; the main focus is the uh, mystery. And that takes it more into the thriller side, but I, I, I mean, if I, right. I mean, this is a multi-genre kind of movie. I, I would put it at horror, if 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 you will. But I, if you don't find, but it's not scary. It's not a scary horror. Yeah, I I agree. It's it's a horror thriller that is not that scary. I mean, I don't think all horror needs to be scary. I mean, there's some people that think that all horror movies need to try to be scary. Personally, I, I don't necessarily agree with that uh, judgment case. Um, for me, this is the sort of horror film that I like to watch, um, partially because it's uh, very, really does blend those uh, heavy thriller elements in there. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you know me, I, I, I mean, the way I view it is, uh, whether you were talking about a horror genre as comedy or whatever, the the key thing is that the movie to have a good movie, <laughs> you know. Uh, right, right, right. I mean, there there are horror movies that are scary or with tons of jump scares, which technically you could say they startled you. Which you could say that's a form of being scared. If they're horrible, then and you're not going to watch it again. That's still not a good horror. Right, right. All right. So a uh, little bit more about the. Uh, uh, the look of the film this the cinematographer on here and i think this might just kind of show you how much uh, cachet argento's father had um the fact that this is dario argento's first film and he's already getting these super acclaimed people was uh vittorio storaro who actually won three oscars um in the 15 years after this film was released probably the most famous film that he shot was um apocalypse okay. now uh, so he was Coppola's uh, cinematographer for that film, um, and uh, uh, I think uh, awesome. the uh, the look of the film I think is extremely impressive. Um, uh, one thing that Argento really likes is that really I, I I really like how the camera just is very mobile. It just sort of glides around. Um, I think a lot of the framing and the way it sort of shows uh, for me, I always imagine that sort of like triangle staircase. I think of the second kill, if I remember right, um, and it, just the way it rotates. I really like the way that it just takes that sort of like geography and that very European feel, and it and it highlights it. Um, so I, I'm a big fan of um, how this film looks. Um, Inyaki, this is the third Dario Argento film you've seen. Mm -hmm. um, you've seen. Uh, two of his more outlandish films uh how do you place this uh, compared to those you've seen Suspiria and Inferno um, if I, I mean, recall correctly so if, if you didn't tell me that this was by Argento I 
wouldn't have assumed it is based on the, the how stylized he is much later or I don't know if much later but later <laughs> right so so it feels different yeah it feels different I mean this feels a lot, a lot more standard in my opinion I mean again good locations good cinematography but uh, stylistically speaking it, it's not you know it doesn't have that crazy style stylization that uh Argento brings in later films, especially in in the Suspiria and um, on uh, the other one that we watched. Um, uh, Inferno. Inferno, yeah. In Curious, did he did he actually also write those? So this one, it seems like he wrote and directed this one. Yes, he did. He right. he wrote yeah. and directed those. Um, yeah, he's he's. I think he writes almost all of his films. So, nice. yeah. Uh, those those two in particular uh, are probably or Suspiria is definitely his most famous film and definitely I would say more of a straight a scary supernatural horror film definitely not a giallo um, okay well the other technical does anyone else have anything to share sort of about um, the the look and feel of the film some of the cinema, cinematography other than it's it's good <laughs> okay uh, all right, so let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about the score. Um, so another example of just a super acclaimed artist coming onto the film, um, Ennio Morricone, um, who has sort of this like score that's like almost equal parts like a lullaby and sort of discorded um, and sort of like dissonant and sort of atonal. So the classic horror, your classic seventies um, horror score. Yeah, um, what did uh, me? You want to lead us off on this? What did you make of the uh, the uh, score? So, uh, like a bad guest, I didn't I didn't pay attention to the 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 specific uh, categories that you guys did on film on film before. Um, so I was I am very underprepared on this front. But um, oh, no yeah. primarily, it seemed like it was. Um, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to the score specifically keeping in mind for this discussion so it didn't really seem like out of place or anything but it was i think at the times that when when things kept um th things were going thrilling it, it seemed to go well along with it there were times when it seemed unusual but it seemed to make that scene work like where uh sam actually goes in to uh to the shopkeeper uh to the shop where he's doing his research and trying to get the painting that he's thinking about uh or he's trying to find out about and uh, funny enough like the the music is what made me realize that he was trying to charm the guy into giving him the painting and the information that he needed as opposed to like Sam or uh, what's the actor's name? Uh, Musto's uh, Musante's acting itself. <laughs> I don't know if that if like so there was ambiguity with with the conversation that they were going. Oh oh, I should point out that I watched the film in English dub and I didn't watch it in in original Italian. Yeah uh, yeah. yeah. I I mean that yeah that brings us to and a so maybe point too. maybe that's why like that that. Maybe yeah. there was the the good acting, and the, the dub kind of. Let, let, let's talk about the dubbing <laughs> like, uh, after we go over the. Okay. Wait, wait, uh, Dobby. Okay. Uh, I think we sh I think we should do so, a quick a quick thing for me. So, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it after yeah. the right, score. Fine. Inyaki, first. Uh, so the score. So uh, all right. So, yeah, the score. I mean, I, I thought, it, you know, it's suspenseful. I actually really liked uh, your your observation, Meet, though. I'm, I'm going to say, for someone who didn't, quote-unquote, prepare, uh, you know, you paid, you paid really close attention uh, on, on the score in that scene, where uh, on, on the scene where he's trying to convince the artist to get information. Uh, I, I didn't catch that. But uh, now thinking back to it, I mean, yeah, we're going to get to dubbing later, but it, it is hard to tell what people are, when people are trying to be sneaky or whatever, they're all at the same level. Uh, so so the score really helped out understand like, oh, right now he's trying to, you know, get something out of this person. But I didn't notice until you pointed it out just now. So, I mean... Uh, way more professionally done than I thought before because before I thought more of a well he he you got the lalas with like little hippie dissonance in the background that's kind of classic of you know your horror, 70s horror scores but uh yeah and when, mm -hmm. once you but those little details you caught uh that little detail you got at least that's 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 good yeah uh, all right yeah, yeah. um <laughs> I like the score. I like the little by part. That's all I need to say. Um, Inyaki, give them the rundown <laughs> on the dubbing. Uh, they're all dubbed. Whether it's in Italian or English, they're dubbed. Uh, uh -huh. So, uh, uh, Italian films during this era, uh, they were basically filming them, moving their mouth, maybe talking in English, maybe talking in Italian. It doesn't matter because the sound was not being recorded. It would be dubbed later. So, it would be yeah, dubbed. No live sound. Exactly. So, I mean, whether it's in whether you watch the Italian version, the English version, the Spanish version, or the Japanese version, it's dubbed. <laughs> no, not Super the Japanese version. They're definitely speaking Japanese on that set. Odebasen! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's actually what Tony Musante is saying. Uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, me. That was one of the questions I was going to ask you. Is like... Uh, so Inyaki and I have had this conversation a couple times because we've watched a fair amount of Italian films uh, uh, on this podcast. Did the dubbing uh, bother you? Did it take you a little bit to um, sort of get into the film? It's definitely one thing that is sort of a reoccurring uh, theme on, on a lot of these Italian films. Not really. I didn't really have any trouble getting into the film, but um, yeah, when watching some of these scenes, I kind of, I kind of like it crossed my mind. It, it made me think like whether you know like the acting in time and the conversation that they might be having in original languages is, is kind of more charming and more like you know is conveying the emotion better than than what I am hearing at this moment um, luckily yeah we had in this case we had the score to go along with it so so <laughs> it, it made sense. I was like, why is this guy giving away all the information and the painting? He's like, yeah, sure, take it. Borrow it. Where do you live, by the way? I don't know. <laughs> um, but it makes sense now. Yeah. yeah. He was charming the guy's pants off. I mean, that guy was like really... Yeah. Uh, the, that salesperson was kind of harassy almost. He <laughs> was... <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's like physically chasing him um, kind of around the store. <laughs> I also like that in, in his defense, the salesperson uh, says that the girl was 
potentially a lesbian or homosexual, but he himself was no racist. I love that. I'm very curious if there was something lost in translation or they just straight up were like, this will sound funny. No, I don't think so. <laughs> They're like... <laughs> I, I kind of think that's Nothing was lost. They didn't know what homophobic was back then. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I kind of think that's Argento's uh, sense of humor, actually. Having seen uh, most of it, well, all of his films from this era, he he has a lot of kind of goofy humor like that uh, interspersed in his films. So um, I actually don't know that you missed too much in translation there. I think that was definitely supposed to be funny. Yeah. Uh, actually, I would um, say the, the 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 painting itself was funny too. <laughs> I don't think that was supposed <laughs> to be was, funny. It's, it's a horrible painting. It's Are like, you sure? Yeah, it was a ridiculous like, painting. You get like a very like a very you know yeah. uh, a landscape painting of you know this particular style that might have been popular in that era, and then you, you straight up see a little cartoon drawing of a murder. Like it, it looks like a cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> the the even the perspective in the painting of the cartoons is ridiculous because you see like the 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 girl that's being murdered is like upskirt and stuff and it's just like what what's going on here this is ridiculous yeah and like the blood's like coming down around on her under her butt it's just yeah it's yeah. so, so random i mean it is ridiculous and also kind of uh violent as well um so how much would you pay for that painting inyaki nothing <laughs> how about you me anything would you pay for that painting? five dollars I mean, okay <laughs> all right me you win the option more. <laughs> i got a, go. i got a christmas present for you i mean now that dario argento put it in his movie so you know that's true it probably yeah, actually that's quite valuable. value goes up <laughs> fair fair yeah um all right inyaki any thoughts on the dubbing or or you kind of i mean we kind of skip over this stuff uh, on most of the italian films we watched any any extra thoughts uh no i mean it goes into a little bit on the same same area which is emotions are not fully uh i mean now it sounds like a nitpick because we've done it so much but like yeah, the dubbing, it, it's dubbing. Uh, because it's dubbing, uh, emotions are are not portrayed well. You know, like, either they sound too cartoony mm -hmm. or they sound, uh, like, it's either overacted or underacted. Like, everyone is sort of, like, talking, like, if, if they were in a hurry. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and, I mean, because Dario Argento is writing this and he doesn't necessarily speak English as his first language too. I mean, like these films just tend not to be very dialogue based. This is not like Woody Allen of the same period or anything. Like right. That. And, 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 so. and it makes sense in this movie, I guess another comparison with the, uh, the other two Argentos we've watched Inferno and Suspiria is here. He didn't know his witnesses so well. So you have a lot more dialogue. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, the Jellos in general, because they're not supernatural, they're more based off of plot. And, like, the plot of Inferno, frankly, uh, sorry me to reference some movies you haven't seen, the plot of Inferno, frankly, doesn't matter uh, at all. I mean, like, the appeal of that film is totally beyond the plot. Uh, but for this film, it's actually pretty central, yeah. I think, towards uh, towards enjoying it. It's, it's a lot more of a conventional film in that sense. Mm-hmm. 
Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit um, about uh, the performances, if anything stood out. So the lead uh, was played by Tony Musante, who is an Italian-American, as uh, were um, a lot of the leads in some of these films. Um, and uh, he appeared in a bunch of spaghetti westerns, or at least a handful of spaghetti westerns. Uh, he often played Mexicans, actually, in the spaghetti westerns, uh, amusingly. Um, and uh, Susie Kendall plays Julia, uh, who I don't personally think is necessarily the best character. She's British, so both of those two are English-speaking first. And then uh, the last person I wanted to mention is the inspector, played by uh, Enrico uh, Maria uh, Salerno, um, who is um, Italian actor, uh, appeared in a bunch of Poliziotesky films, so the Italian crime films from that era. Um, any of those characters uh, stand out? Anyone you want to talk about? In wait, uh, we're not, are we not going to talk about uh, Eva Renzi, or Moni uh, the one who played Monica? Okay, sure, sure. Toss her in there. Eva Renzi, who plays Monica uh, Ranieri, mm -hmm. who is eventually, what about, spoilers, our uh, killer. Yeah, and what about uh, Giuseppe Castellano, who is, uh, who is Monty? <clears throat> Monty? Isn't he... Yeah, isn't he the guy who like ends up? He's the one that ends up dead at the end, right? Like uh, the husband, her her husband, or or his friend. Oh, his friend, like she kills him. Oh, like okay. that's the last, last, right, last right, right. victim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or or he's not there. Could... He's not very prevalent on on screen, but he has a few scenes that are. That are or you could even good. toss in. I mean, there's all kinds of side characters here. There's also the cat here, yeah, played so by uh, Mario oh. Ladorf, uh, who yeah. is uh, <laughs> who Inyaki and I both recognize from some of the crime films as like the Italian connection. Oh, um, oh yeah. Uh, let's talk about the three leads first, then we can talk about our sure. favorite side character. Because there's all kinds of like kind of weirdo side characters, so long, um, um, some of the guys that chase after. Uh, any thoughts on any of the three leads? I mean, uh, I, mean I like the inspector. Uh, although, yeah. is it me or that actor normally has a mustache? Because like... <laughs> I mean, this is Italy in the 1970s, so 50-50 guess. Yeah, I, 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 I was just <laughs> noticing, like, I was looking and I was like, does he have a mustache or not? And it, it felt like he maybe did, and he just shaved. It looked weird. Uh, I know it's a random thought. Uh, it's nothing to do with the movie or his acting. I mean, he was fine. Um, it's, it's the mustache thing that distracted me a little bit. But yeah, to the actors themselves, to be honest, I don't think any of the of the main three actually shined for me. The reason I was point, uh, pointing out uh, Monica was because although she was barely there, she was a great killer. She was. Uh, mm -hmm. I just really like her, like manic, like between her being like a very nice lady. A lady who was being, mm -hmm. like we thought, murdered, and then being, you know, this psycho killer who is. We're probably gonna get to the the ending later, but who's pretty gruesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's I a mean, good the, point. Yeah, yeah. I kept I kept watching her and not not realizing that she would turn out to be the killer of all the right. people. Um, so. Uh -huh. Yeah. Fair point. And and we do see her in between there and she's trying to thank the guy and acting very 
obviously very quiet, but also almost seemed like a little bit submissive to her husband while he was trying to call her uh-huh. away and avoid avoid talking to Sam. So yeah, yeah, really good observation. I, I mean, uh, to me, actually, she was probably one of the most memorable people. Well, she's the killer, so good. I I, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I mean, I think this film also has an uncommonly uh, good twist at the end. Like it, it feels less tacked on and it feels a little more substantive. We'll get to that a bit. Uh, me, any thoughts on those three actors, the, the leads, Tony Musante, uh, Susie Kendall, or uh, the inspector, Enrico Maria Salerno? Um, I've, yeah, I, I felt like they were good. Um, I'm trying to think if I had anything to call out about either of them. Um, but they seem to carry everything pretty well. Um, I didn't realize that he had a girlfriend until he shows up at the room and then there she is in the bed that was kind of just out of the blue yes this is a, an american guy in italy and then also his girlfriend's there with him uh, yeah yeah um i guess more of a plot point than than acting per se yeah um i thought tony misante was pretty good in this film overall um i thought he carried the film fine um these films don't necessarily have the strongest these are not acting films necessarily just not necessarily a great showcase for like academy award type acting so i think he did his job in kind of a similar manner to um the girl who knew too much where um leticia roman 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 uh did like carried that film we spent time with them we generally care about them uh inyaki if you and i were to contrast blood and black lace i think that film uh probably one of its only flaws for me is that you just don't really care about the characters for me uh i think this film has a couple characters you can lash on to more i don't think the julia character is particularly great i think it's really underwritten but i think Susie kendall does do a pretty good job in there and it's overall a pretty sympathetic character i also like the inspector so i'd say i give uh decent praise for all three lead rose roles if i were to evaluate yeah no i would too uh uh, i I just i don't think any of yeah neither neither of them stands out like from each other i feel like all the characters were given pretty kind of ridiculous things that they all three of the main characters were given pretty ridiculous things that they kind of end up doing or agreeing (laughs) to like the police inspector just like handing off the investigation to this random bystander who he found to be yeah (laughs) who was a witness at the killing and then like you know uh yeah, this yeah. bystander going around doing his own investigation and then girlfriend going like, yeah, sure, go ahead and do your investigation. You almost, you almost got killed. Like go ahead, all... do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like, well, I hate to pile on, on the Italian like police, but we were all at the University of Washington in 2007. That's when, right. Um, when one of our, co- our uh, classmates, Amanda Knox, was in Italy. So um, That's right. I'm all for, that... for damning the uh, Italian police. So that... That really was the plot twist for me when they just didn't outright take Tony Musante or Sam Sam and then put him I in know, prison. That, that should have been the the whole thing. It's like, ah, <laughs> uh, it was you. Well, what proof do you have? Well, maybe the uh, de- the defund the police movement went to Italy in 1969, so they didn't have the budget, so they had to outsource oh. the investigation of a serial oh. killer to uh, to uh, Sam All Thomas. Right. Since, since, since we're talking about the police, can we talk about their CSI? 
I fucking love the <laughs> siesta. Yes, let's do it. Uh, yeah. We cannot, we cannot ignore the forensics. Uh, yes. Yeah, we we had an. Meet and I are electrical engineering majors. There we there's go. There's an actual oscilloscope in this film. <laughs> there, I'm there just going to point that out. <laughs> I, I also want to call out that the electrical engineers are not sound experts, but that, that hocus pocus was hilarious in there. <laughs> Do you see that wave? <laughs> it's different from the other one. It was different than it, it the would, other ones. It, people can modulate their voice, but they can never create a different wave. Who says that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I also like that when they, when they create a suspect list... There's first a drawing of the person in the <laughs> yeah. outfit that shows up, and it's all in like old school dot matrix, which is which is amazing. <laughs> like an ASCII art. <laughs> Kudos to whoever did that art, but it was just so random. Yeah. And they're like, "Yeah, we we narrowed it down. There's only 150,000 people in Rome that it could be." Like, great, <laughs> great work, guys. What was the population in Rome at that time to begin with? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, probably like probably five million. Crazy. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I just, I just gotta say, like all the CSI scenes were great. Also, I mean, on a legal perspective, how no one was keeping the, like, you know, the, the attempted murder scene happened. There's the glove. What does the detective do? do? Grabs the glove, touches it, touches it with his hands, like not even covered, you know, and then pulls the blood mm -hmm. out of it, like almost cleaning up the blood <laughs> from the fucking <laughs> glove, and it's like. Huh, this is certainly the murderer. It's like, well, you, you got no fingerprints. And by the way, fingerprints did exist at that time. So, of course, the CSI That's people right. were working with that old ass computer <laughs> and with wavelength because the entire, the entire like, murder scene was contaminated as hell. So they couldn't work with anything else. <laughs> Amanda uh, Knox, just subscribe. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I also found that it was uh, crazy that they showed every single time they showed all that forensics only to have no conclusive answer. And the, the, the main inspector would be like, so, Sam, what will you do now? <laughs> like, can you figure this out for us? <laughs> Just every time they go in this fancy forensics room, like, we don't have an answer. Can you yeah. figure this out for us? <laughs> I mean, I think that's one of the things that the actor that played the police, uh, Morosini, was good at. He was, like, good at conveying that he seemed to know what he was doing, even though from <laughs> all of the actions of the Italian police, they just seem like uh, they're not going to solve this thing. Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit curious. What kind of... Uh, did the movie ever establish what kind of right, uh, like genre uh, Sam wrote? Because... It almost feels like a, a very long Murder, She Wrote episode. I don't know if you guys ever watched that. No idea. Hmm. Alright, well, it was, it. So, it was a TV show from the late 80s, the early 90s, uh, of an old woman who would write murder mysteries. And whenever she traveled somewhere mm. and there was a murder, she would solve it first because she was an amazing murder. Uh, you know, she would imagine all the possibilities. So the cops didn't do shit. Uh -huh. She would be solving all the mysteries. Like there's even an episode in Seattle where she does that. Uh, <laughs> so my question is like, this almost felt like a murder she wrote episode in the sense that the detective is like, huh, what a pickle here. Well, you know something. What are you going to do about it? What should be our next step? <laughs> Why don't you go ahead yeah. and investigate Sam? Sam, do you know the murder? <laughs> 
this woman's husband is in this building at this address. What floor? The seventh floor. Okay, I'll go there. I know. <laughs> that was that was it was crazy that outright he yeah divulged where that the the victim lived, supposed victim of that crime. It's like yeah, she's back and she's fine now. Go ahead and do your asking questions. Yeah, I, I I I mean in what? my notes when he went there, I was like. Did the fucking police question her at all? And it's like, oh yes, it's implied that they did. But somehow he has to go and look at it, look at it, and talk to her again. I wonder if Americans watching this in the like, you know, early mid to late seventies were like, oh man, we need to go there and help out the authorities, <laughs> or or just like, yeah, I should visit, I should visit Italy. They're very American friendly. Yeah, like the uh, sheriff from like Montana or something is like, oh, all right, I'll move there. Or, or, or even more, it's like, oh, I can commit a murder and then, you know, help out the police over there. <laughs> um, okay, well, let's, uh, let's keep moving. Um, so I think we've talked about uh, this on some of the other parts, but uh, I guess some of the side characters and uh, the humor in the film... Um, I think is a little different from the other jolly of this period. Uh, what did uh, what did you guys think? Do you get Inaki? Did you have any thoughts on some of the sort of like weird side characters, like Solong or uh, the crazy painter, and uh, and some of the humor? I mean, this movie was riddled with uh, a little bit of humor here, here and there. Um, the painter and the whole subplot of his cat was uh, an interesting surprise uh, especially because you know the guy's like asking him questions and then the painter all of a sudden is like you know talking about keeping his cats fat and he's like why would you do that as he's like, chomping on cat meat uh, yeah you know yeah. that's pretty funny that's pretty funny it's also a funny way for the guy not to get the full information because the painter was basically giving him the whole plot and then he's like wait I'm eating cat I gotta go so I mean that that yeah, that was pretty enjoyable. Um, I don't know if there was an this. Sam really liked the cat too. He he was like going at it. Like I remember the the painter pulling away the plate, and there was some meat left on it. And Sam's like, no, no, no. Like let me like with his fork follows the plate. I, I want to continue eating this yeah. paw. And, and that's <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, didn't know until until later. Until like a minute later. <laughs> um. One one thing that I thought was sort of maybe unintentionally funny was when uh, he has his, you know, after he gets the the uh, threatening phone call and they talk to you, the forensics. Uh, he's back at home with his girlfriend and his friend Monty, and Monty's listening to to the tape. And as Monty's listening to the tape, and he's like, "Oh, this is really interesting." Uh, Sam and um, <clears throat> and Julia are just like making out and groping each other and basically are mm -hmm. about to have sex and, and, and Monty's like oh okay I should probably go and and, and it ends with them making out and I'm like what, what happened like what led to like you have your friend over and then you start having sex right in front of him that's uh, a little bit uh, problematic <laughs> I, I'm I pretty think sure that's that was what got them funny. going, and then and then that's what ended it. 
right? Like he left, yeah. and it's like, oh my god, it's not fun. Yeah, anymore. actually, you're right. They're <laughs> yeah. still doing anything. Just weird fetish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole time it's like I'm kidding. They, they seem That's like they're they about, show it, but they're about to have sex like several times in the film, and and each time Sam gets distracted by the murder case. But but in this one, literally, he gets distracted by sex while his friend is listening to the murder case right in front of him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that was supposed to be funny. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. I, I found humor in it. I, fu- I also found... I thought it was funny because Monty was right there, but he was, like, kind of just in his own zone, not realizing that, like, his buddy was half-naked already. And then he turns around and like, oh wow, he's he has a shirt off and they're making out. All right, I guess I'll I'll take off and let me take the recorder with me. Yeah, um, I like I like how he's so nonchalant about it too. He's just kind of like, yeah, yeah. All right, I guess we'll leave. Maybe that's the Italian way. It's like instead of saying goodbye or ciao, it's just like you're at someone's house and it's like, oh, they're getting naked. I guess that's my cue to get yeah. the fuck out. <laughs> you want to leave but it was the Americans like... that were like getting naked in front of the Italian <laughs> I don't know if the girlfriend was just saying American she was, I think she well she may have been or, British I well, don't know yeah the right, foreigners right. yeah non-Italians doing it basically in front of the Italian yeah um <laughs> one of thought the, it was pretty uh, funny though yeah one of, one of the things that all of the weird characters I think do sort of help to do is sort of create um sort of a bunch of red herrings to it too uh, I don't know if you all picked up on that, but I noticed how, um, like, in that scene where that we were just talking about where they start having sex in front of the friend, um, they, they noticeably show the friend listening to it and, like, taking the evidence away, as well as smoking a cigar, which is something that we have already known to associate with the killer from the uh, mm-hmm. initial scene. So I feel like, and then later on, that sort of builds to the point where, like, that same friend, uh, I, I'm forgetting his name mm-hmm. now, runs off Monty. with Julia and uh, Monica uh, Ranieri. And so it's like, oh, shit, is he the actual killer? And for a second there, when they show his dead body, you actually think that he might be. Um, but I, I feel like some of these uh, offbeat characters, like the cat eater uh, uh, and uh, even the gay character uh, in the art the gay art dealer um sort of uh and, and too long just all kinds of these weird characters help to sort of create this uh i don't know slight slightly off kilter uh Wait, nature to it. it's like not many are, of these being, side characters are, being, are played straight are you being racist or was he actually gay <laughs> sorry i have to say that um <laughs> uh, yeah. i um I, I agree with you in fact uh, the biggest red herring happens right at the beginning where um uh, Monica Ranieri's husband catches the his expensive pack of cigarettes w- with his right. left hand, uh, and he's also yep. the correct height. <laughs> I mean, like he was probably. I mean, the biggest red herring was was the husband until the end. I I will be honest, maybe because of the previous movie we watched. I assumed that it was her, the one who. Like I assume it was her, especially because in the murder, uh, <clears throat> the 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 one murder of the random girl who was you know smoking at her place, uh, the the hands in the gloves like they actually they looked really petite like we didn't like you didn't look like you know like mm. manly body you know like they were not like big hands or anything like that they looked like more fi- refined so I was like all right 
It's probably the girl. It's like she's the only character who ne- who did not die. If her husband was a murderer, uh-huh. she would be dead. And all the other characters are too stupid <laughs> or too silly looking <laughs> to to be it. Yeah, um, Garula had a had a pretty perfect alibi, right? He was in prison the whole time, yeah. So, so yeah, he he couldn't have been out unless yeah. he was working with somebody. But that still left another person. Uh, on, on the painter, um, he was mystical. <clears throat> so, you know, he, he couldn't do it either. <laughs> painter was nuts. <laughs> Eating cats. Yeah. Jesus. And and having having an open... Walling up his house and then, like, letting people in through, through the window. <laughs> I thought that yeah. was crazy. Uh, what if somebody took that ladder... Painter would be in kind of like the fats, uh, kind of like the cats, always in his house. I mean, well, the painter had a solution. How would he get the, out? I mean, the painter would have would have, have food, right? Just keep on breeding the cats. Yep. No big deal. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. What do you think he did with uh, all the cat hair? Anyways, <laughs> we don't need to answer that. Oh my that. god. <laughs> yeah. He needs sweaters. <laughs> um. Where were we yeah. going with Side this? Business. Oh, do, did Solo you guys? What did you guys think uh, with the first um, sort of killing scene, not killing scene, killing, not killing, depending on what you think about it, in the yeah, studio? The attempted murder. Where? The gallery? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. The gallery, the very first one, where Alberto, the husband, and Monica are kind of fighting. Um, why did the husband dress up like that? Like. What was his reason to dress up like the murderer that we end up end up knowing? Well, maybe he just uh, like maybe he like wearing like... a fedora, uh, have a bloody glove, and uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, who doesn't have a bloody glove in their house? I mean, OJ did. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the idea is that he was trying to get her to stop somehow. Um, probably was a bad idea, whatever mm-hmm. the heck he was doing, um, mm-hmm. but. Uh, Something like that, I think. Um, but mm-hmm. shall we uh, dive into some of these big uh, set pieces? Um, I want to specifically talk about the opening, which me just brought up, and, and the end, um, and uh, any, anything else that we had in there. Before we do that, quick question. Yeah. Who was taking pictures? Oh, uh, of Wasn't the, it the uh, wife? Yeah, like, so the movie starts with uh, this... Uh, this... T- Short-haired girl in a right, and like there was a you know so, something was like written in a typewriter uh, talking about like uh, something about you know like sort of giving orders, and then uh, you have uh, a stranger taking pictures of this short, short-haired girl, <clears throat> and you know there's that whole setup and nothing happened with that. Well, isn't the assumption that that's Monica Ranieri? The sh- I thought that was the victim that she was uh, scoping out. Yeah, I don't know what the yeah. typewriter thing meant, but I thought that was the victim that Monica Ranieri was scoping out. Yeah, like yeah, the yeah. Short That's my girl. Who was well. taking the pictures? And then like Monica Ranieri. Monica. So Monica typed something on a typewriter. Then, she gave herself instructions on the typewriter, and then took pictures herself, and then killed the person herself. Yeah, 
I think so. Unless, I mean, unless uh, for some reason she involved her uh, one henchman that wore yellow, mm. who was presumably hired help. But um, that, so, that I'm operating uh, under that assumption, yes. Yeah. I also have a qu- question about the henchman. Who do you think involved the henchman? Was um, it pretty clear that it was Monica? I think it was the guys? husband. Because that wasn't clear for me. It, yeah, I, I suppose it could have been the husband. Um Depending, the, like the husband, like, like, wanted... like why would the right. why would a serial killer go in and hire another killer to to do the work? Yeah. Which, like, obviously not part of the mo, but it still seems ridiculous. I but, think I think it was the husband. Uh, I think the husband basically yeah. uh, knew that Sam was getting too close. Sam was the only person who actually saw what happened. So the husband, in fact, I think the husband was probably the person who tried to kill him the first time too. Uh, exactly because the wife was hospitalized at that point. Yeah, yeah, second. exactly. I think I think the husband like was just nuts in oh, love. Oh yeah, that makes sense. It could he, have he been. was super yeah. in love with her, and he would do anything uh, to keep her yeah. safe. Right. Plus, whenever Monica wanted to kill someone, she seemed to succeed. Exactly. So. Like the husband was no killer. Yeah, he missed with that meat cleaver. First, I, I thought it was a machete. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> is it big, a big weapon um, yeah. okay well shall we dive into sort of that first set all piece right. all right well um, for me at least the first set piece um, I think is uh, I think is a real highlight of the film I think it's really good um, sort of Tony Musante or uh, Sam Dalmas getting trapped in those those uh, those sliding mm-hmm. doors I think that's smart and then just the way that it harkens back to it i mean that's something that for me like ties this film up real neatly at the end how it how the the initial scene really is the key to the film um and so it's just about um sam dalmas trying to remember it correctly and how he's sort of trapped there he can't can't do it so all he can do is sort of witness it um i think it's filmed really well i i love the set of like that art gallery i i i i'm i'm a fan um uh me, any thoughts on the opening set? Yeah, I think I, I agree with you that it was the highlight um, of the film. It, it was certainly... And then it gets used again mm-hmm. at the end. Um, yeah, which I also like. <clears throat> yeah, with the, with the whole, like, you know, the whole gimmick with, where the, like, person hit... The killer hits the button and the door closes and all of that and he's trapped. It worked out perfectly. I thought it was really yeah. cool. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know if I have much to add to what you basically said because you tied it up in a nice, neat little bundle. Um, it, yeah, I would, I would say. Inyaki. I mean, pay, 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 piggybacking both from both of you, I would say it is nice that it sort of begin with that and it ends with that, uh, giving you the full circle. Um, mm. Also, I mean, in my head, like, perhaps because of the Amanda Knox thing, <laughs> I was just straight up thinking, like, oh, he's going to go to jail. <laughs> like, like when he was trapped between those two glasses, I was like, oh, that dude is way too calm. Like, he's just, like, calmly, like, open the door, open the door. And I'm like, oh, like, once the cops get there, because I thought she was going to die. So it's like, once the cops get there, you know, he's, he's done. He, he's going to go to jail and, like, It'll be another character investigating what really happened. Mm-hmm. 
I, I kind of guessed that like she might point the finger at him and then that's how he would get in trouble and that's how the movie would unfold. But not not quite how it went. Yeah. Yeah. Um all right. Um so yeah, let's talk about the finale because it kind of just goes back to that original scene. I think the finale is stunningly filmed, like some of those shots in the dark especially where he opens the mm-hmm. door at the mm-hmm. end. And, like, the way it shoots, like, the eyes and stuff. And, uh, like, starting with sort of, like, his friend Carlo, where we see him there and, and, like, he's stabbed. We see his girlfriend, Julia, on the ground. I think some of those scenes are stunning. And then how it goes from that really dark scene to that, like, almost overly lit art gallery where the piece of art falls right. on him. Um, I'm, I, I, think, uh, I think it's a great way to conclude the film. Um, uh, yeah, I, I love it. Um, any thoughts? I... I'm surprised that he survived that uh, being crushed by that sculpture that also had like spikes in it. Like, it mm-hmm. just. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a medieval torture device. Too. No, no, no wounds, wounds at, at all. all. Survived completely. Yeah, I really thought he actually. I mean, I feel like had they made this movie now, he might have died. It might have been just uh, Julia surviving. Uh, because, like. I mean, right. in fact, I mean, I think that would have being a better ending like him struggling as she's sort of torturing and like all right the cops arrive he died julia goes back on the plane so i'm by the way as this is i know i'm probably going a little bit further ahead but uh, beyond the head piece uh, the, the the set piece but i think that the movie later implies that julia who witnessed a bunch of murders in front of her and was almost almost murdered herself might be next on the psychosis because you know uh, uh, um, <clears throat> Monica she mm-hmm. was almost murdered but she survived and mm-hmm. you know beca- and then she was fine until she saw that lovely painting that triggered her to murdering people I think when they were talking when the psychiatrist was talking about you know the psychology of all of this they were mm-hmm. it was right at the same moment as the as the camera was like uh centering on Julia in the airplane and you kinda see like ah you know you could have a sequel where Julia is a killer. Uh that that would be the classic uh horror movie ending. Um yeah, maybe uh Inspector Morosini um is too jaded with the Italian police after Amanda knocks and so he retires and becomes a painter. Paints it <laughs> And uh, and Julia sees it in New York. Um, sequel is in set set in New York. There we go. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I found it. I found it surprising that Julia was the one that survived. Well, both of them survived, but um, Sam was like clearly the the lead of the movie, right? So, but the but Julia just like oh she survived and ended up calling the police to get Sam to be rescued. I thought that was and that felt over the top. And the cops show up and they're like oh yeah yeah, yeah she's okay we already got her. And then yeah. we came to you while you were chasing or while you were being chased by the being killer torture here. at that moment. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, if you think about it, Sam really doesn't do all that much in the film. Like, he doesn't really solve much of anything. He's more or less kind of... Fake. If anything, Julia is the hero of the movie. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. There we go. Um, uh, any for, other for thoughts? For how less of a on-screen time she has, yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's a particularly great role, Julia's role, but um, she's. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like um, the actress does a good job with it. Um, any last thoughts on the last set piece? Um, anything like that? Okay. Um, all right. Well, uh, what about any other of the um, big set pieces in the film? Any of the stock and slash um, kills? Uh, any any of those you guys want to talk about? Um, I mean, the, at this point, I'm, uh, after seeing you know many Italian films, it's kind of muted down for being an Italian movie. But uh, it, the, the the murder of mm-hmm. the the girl, of the one girl we don't know her name, like. The killer basically completely undressed her and then starts stabbing her off camera. Like you don't know where she, he's, she is stabbing her. And uh, this is the first kill. Yeah, the first, the one, real kill, uh, where it's through the yeah. park. Mm-hmm. First yeah. murder. Yeah, uh, I thought that was interesting. I thought that was kind of because it, it's gruesome, but off camera, and it's like very invasive. Yeah. They basically get that act actress to get completely naked by the end of her death. That's right. Well, yeah, like uh, before killing her, like uh, basically Monica takes off her panties and like opens up her shirt and and then stabs her. Yeah. Yeah, pretty. At that point, you think like, oh, wow, this is a deranged killer or serial killer obviously but there there is maybe also a sexualized nature of to the killing but then quickly in the second killing i felt like it it wasn't so hyper sexualized he that person just kills the the girl you know the killer just kills the girls which one is the second murder so Uh, wasn't the the second in the elevator Uh, oh yeah 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 Precursor. I mean, it's still it's still a bad way of being killed. Just like small cuts all over your body. Yeah, sure. I mean that one was a yeah. little. I I agree with me that the first one was definitely quite a bit more brutal. Um, uh, the the second one it occurs largely off screen too. Um, but yeah, I mean it's also being flicked to death with a razor blade doesn't sound fun. I mean, if you got a choice, would you prefer someone taking your mm-hmm. underwear off and stabbing you? Or someone just like <laughs> hitting you with a razor blade a whole bunch of times until you die. <laughs> Me, you go first. Neither. <laughs> Why are those my only choices? Like, what, what about option number? There we go. It's like yeah. It's like what's your death wish? What uh, about option number three? Because uh, there was another kill in between of the cop just being run down. By a car. <laughs> I'll choose that one. <laughs> There we go. Get, just get run over. Um, <laughs> um, actually, yeah. I uh, I did want to bring up that set piece too. I thought that was kind That's of a right. fun chase scene in the film. The uh, guy dressed all in yellow, which I think is probably a pretty uh, clever uh, reference to just Jello uh, being the color yellow and stuff, um, and having that really mean looking guy uh, chasing Sam around. Um, I like how it was edited and sort of like like that bus yard mm-hmm. um, and how they end up at that. Uh, prize yeah. fighter convention. I, I want to call out that I, I did say in the beginning of the movie uh, of our recording that there was nothing supernatural in this movie, but that really was the supernatural part, where the henchman just ends up showing up every different spot and and shooting uh, at Sam, 
in uh, in the chase sequence. And always um, missing. It's funny how he... Yeah, always missing. He's surprisingly a good shot, but only a bad shot by a little bit. Like, each... Every time he shoots at such a distance, he misses him just by a He's little a bit. He's a stormtrooper. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Except yeah. he can like kind of teleport himself to like quickly nearby locations also. Like he's in the bus for a second and then he's outside the bus. Yeah. But the set piece was amazing. Like if we're talking about the set piece, it was really good. Yeah. Um yeah, big narrow spaces big buses and like go running through narrow spaces is always a good way to like instill fear and and anxiety in viewers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i mean i so, actually really like the the so, part yeah. where all the park bu- buses were yeah me too yeah um I, I think it's a nice thing a nice thing to mix it up from uh all the other kills are just sort of stock and slash and have like a brutality to it this one has more of a action set piece to it so it's quite a bit different from the other ones so i think it's a fun one to have to just sort of mix it up um okay Um, i also felt like after that scene they don't at all ask how julia is they just show her up at the at the hospital and and get the news but like the boyfriend literally left he, he left her and kind of ran off clearly to save her but there there was still another person in that car and they just didn't, you know, it turned out not to be. I mean, she could have been run over. Yeah. Because the other person. Or she could have been like, or the the idea could have been that the actual killer was trying to kill her, right? Right. By, by distracting the boyfriend. But that, that's clearly, that's not how it Well, That that would be too clever. (laughs) Um, all right. So, um, I guess uh, to wrap it up or get close to wrapping it up, um, one of the key elements to the Jello films is just sort of the puzzle nature to this film and, and to talk a little bit about the twist. We sort of referenced this throughout. Um, overall, did sort of like the puzzle, whodunit nature of this film work for you mostly? Uh, yes or no, uh, Inyaki? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would say that is probably the main thing, right, from uh, this movie. It's, it's a murder mystery. So... Mm-hmm. It had to work. If not, the movie would not be good. Okay, there you go. What, it what definitely you? worked for me. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I, I was totally surprised. And yeah, boy, what a surprise I was in for. So it was very exciting um, yeah. seeing that the, the victim from the first scene was actually the murderer. So I, for me, I never once suspected her. Uh, but... At least I know what to look for now when I when I watch Giallo films. In the the, the twist, especially if they're the twist. Yeah, um, uh, for me as well. Uh, this is uh, obviously a rewatch for me, uh, bringing it onto uh, the show, um, and so it's kind of a fun rewatch actually because there's a lot of extra uh, sort of hints and stuff you you pick up on um, uh, that are just sort of cleverly put in there. So. Um, it's a fun one to see uh, a couple times, I think, and I think uh, for the most part, it's pretty well plotted out and works uh, effectively. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, one thing I like over Blood and Black Lace with this film is just a little more engaging in terms of having uh, strong characters and stuff to follow, um, even if since, the colors aren't quite as Since you've seen it twice, uh, what uh, telltales did the movie have besides the ones that I mentioned? 
Uh, well, it's a lot of stuff on that first scene. Uh, one thing that you realize, you know how he's trapped in the sort of like glass uh-huh. at the beginning? Um, and then someone comes and he's like gesturing to him to call the police yeah. and stuff. Mm-hmm. Th- that's actually the owner. That's oh. the husband. Um, yeah. Mm. Uh, so that was one of the big ones. I was like, wait a second. Oh, it's him. Um, and then you just see the initial fight. I was curious to see the initial fight, um, knowing that it's actually reversed and it plays with sort of our preconceptions of like, is the male, the, uh, the attacker, we just kind of mm-hmm. assume it naturally. I was curious to mm-hmm. see how much it shows of, of that. If it like deliberately misleads you and stuff. So it's interesting to see it in sort of that reverse context where you're like, oh, you actually know that, um, uh, the, the Monica is attacking her husband. Um, and seeing it like that um, and sort of makes you look at your own biases as well. So I think it's kind of uh, interesting to see it in that sense. So um, that first scene especially, I think, is an interesting rewatch. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, our- I didn't catch on that, but yeah, what, rewatching that would totally be something that you'd, you'd kind of realize. Like that clue yeah. basically... Um, yeah. Did you... So I kept... I did keep looking for telltales throughout the... But they were mostly red herrings, like like what James mentioned. One of the things I I wanted to call out was like first time the inspector shows up at the at Sam's apartment. Uh, the girlfriend looks at the inspector and goes, "Don't I know you?" And then the inspector goes, "No." And um, it didn't pan out to be anything, but it was just really weird. Or oh, was yeah, there something yeah, to I it for, that I that I missed? That. I I also noted that I think that's totally a red herring. I think you're right on about that. Where it's like, oh, this is going to factor back in. That's like one of those things where you put a mental note in the back of your Like maybe, maybe Julia is but, a murderer. That's, <laughs> so that's where I went at the end as the boyfriend was following her. But that, that clearly wasn't the case. I mean, um, it wouldn't, it wouldn't yeah, make sense make because sense. the husband is so devoted. Right. I mean, it's also totally bizarre what's going on at the end. For some reason, Julia, uh, his friend, and Monica are just running off for... What reason? Unclear. <laughs> well, uh, so I, it seemed like the that Monica ran off, and then the friend and Julia were following her. Ah, I see. But we don't know why. Well, n- I guess now we can guess maybe wh- why the why uh, the the wife Monica ran because she thought that she was gonna yeah. get caught and go to prison. Yeah, that and then sense. I I think uh, the f- right. I think the friend basically wanted to help her out. "Quote unquote." Like, I mean, the friend was like, mm-hmm. "Oh no, the this person who just was traumatized is running away. I should probably catch her before she gets hurt." And the friend was really pushy right. and would be like, always called Julia to follow him for some reason. Like the friend couldn't do anything alone. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's uh, wrap this up here. Um, so, uh, Inyaki, would you recommend yeah. this film? Okay. Um, me. So this is your first Giallo film to watch. Uh, does it make you curious to watch other films in the genre? And would you recommend this film? I think so. I believe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I thought it was very entertaining. So I definitely would recommend this to other people. Yeah, and yeah. talking, listening to you, both you and Inyaki talk uh, definitely has made me curious about more uh, Giallo films. Yeah. Was it, um, because you are someone that watches a lot more recent films and stuff like that, uh, was it slow or anything like that, or hard to adjust to sort of that time period? Not particularly. I thought the pacing was really good, and uh, 
the way it captured parts of the city or town where it was shot was I I thought it was really well done. There was a good amount of like sort of outdoorsy shots as well as indoor sets. So I really liked it. Um I didn't catch so I didn't catch when when the uh the henchman ends up going uh kind of mixing up with the group was that supposed to be like a like a political party or something or some kind of affiliation because that was totally lost on me so that's where i was like man, man maybe there, there's something to this that i should ask you and inyaki about so there were uh, those kind of things that 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 kind of that made me feel like i made have I thought, I thought it was the business so only or maybe a soccer team uh, so, so I only okay. learned about what it actually was after the fact. So I also had no clue. Uh, but it's actually a prize fighter convention for like boxers. Uh, oh, uh huh. Okay. So there are a bunch of prize fighters there, uh, all dressed in yellow. Interesting. So it yeah. kind of makes sense for the henchmen to be from. Okay. Yeah. Um, from any prize. last thoughts before we go to uh, ratings and who won the movie? No. No. Okay. Yeah, Inyaki, you want to start us off? Um, meet. We conclude each uh, episode with just saying who won the movie and uh, a rating of one to ten. So, Inyaki, you want to start? Um, I would say cinematographer uh, in this movie. Probably either that or yeah, cinematographer. And do I do okay. a rating or we do that after? Yeah. Yeah. Do a rate. Okay. So you like this more than the other two Jolly we watched? Probably. I think so. Or okay. I was yeah. watching it in a I, more I favorable mood. I was watching it in a more favorable mood. I don't know. Okay. I think it's a more complete film than those two. Uh, I think Bond Black Lace looks amazing, uh, even compared to this film, but uh, it definitely um, has some other stuff that makes it more difficult to just be fully engrossed. Okay, me, you want to say who you think won the movie uh, and uh, rating? Yeah, I think Hornitos Nivalis won the movie. Who is that? <laughs> just That's the bird species oh, that's oh, supposed the bird to be one. the... the yeah. anyway. Excellent. I think this is definitely um, uh, <laughs> the uh, I don't really high point that's... of that bird. I don't think this bird ever got very famous in this it, movie. On that line, it's I'll the, tell you, Forensics won the, the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, they I feel do like a... for, for a directorial de- debut um, for uh, Dario Argento, I thought this was this was a really good film. Like from that perspective, it it really like stands out for somebody who's who's getting into the filming game and, and, and doing more movies. So I think Dario, probably a big winner, uh, granted uh, flying on his father's wings and connections uh, seemed to do really well. Though I don't have a whole lot of uh, uh, perspective into Jalo. Clearly this movie also uh, apparently is a, a pretty big influence on the whole genre, right? And, and, and popularized yeah. it. So. So for it somebody did, yeah. who who kind of started this project and and actually went through with it, it's a pretty big win for him, I think. <clears throat> I right. probably I'd probably as far as rating goes, I'd probably say seven. Uh, that said, I don't I haven't seen a whole lot of other Giallo movies, 
Um, yeah, certain certain parts of the film seem just kind of like explaining certain things away, but uh, overall it was very entertaining. So cool, cool. Yeah, um, I uh, I was going to give this to the cinematographer. And then Iñaki gave it to the cinematographer, and then I was going to give it to Dario Argento. And then Meek gave it to Dario Argento. So I'm just going to call it a tie. I will give it to uh, – I'm going to cheat, give it to Vittorio Storaro and Dario Argento a tie. Um, yeah. Uh, for me, I think this film is – like I don't think it's the best giallo, but I think it's a, a complete one. I think it's just about as good of an intro into the genre as any of them. Um, and uh, I definitely uh, have a, a pretty high opinion of this film. Um uh, yeah, so I will give this a 8 out of 10, too. Um, definitely one um, I enjoy. Probably enjoy this even more the second time around watching it. I think it's a visually very impressive film um, with a lot of the characteristics that we uh, enjoy about uh, the genre. So, um, yeah. Um, any closing thoughts? Um, let, let's hope that uh, forensics in Italy has, have gotten better than it was then. Yeah. Uh would you watch uh, CSI Italy 1970? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I would actually enjoy that. I, I actually like to watch more incompetent people than uh, super, super competent. Well, I mean, so it, it, I in, all, in all reality, though, the, the science in CSI is also extremely fake. So uh, they might be actually uh, on par. Yeah, but don't they make don't they make the CSI actually extremely competent? Like the enhanced feature, like that's the typically the part that they make fun of, right? Like enhance right. and then it's like. But, oh, but I mean, like that that, that uh, computer was but this had enhanced too. Though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Should they have, should they do like enhance? Uh, if we were cast, Meat could play like the guy with the huge sunglasses, wearing them indoors, and we're just like enhance Meat, and so he enhances it, prints out like another stick figure, <laughs> just bigger. <laughs> Yeah, and it has it has the wavelength. Yeah. We can you see, that. it's definitely. <laughs> yeah. it's just you see the wavelengths. <laughs> it's 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 the the decibel and the amplifications clearly don't match with the other ones. <laughs> Based on this decibel, it's a person. <laughs> we can rule out all of the cats. It's, uh, but I agree with James. James's sentiment that like you know the movie was kind of left out or the mystery was left out to be solved by people more so than like just technology and so that part um that's probably what made the movie really fun and like the acknowledgement of like oh yeah here's all the cool tech but it can't but do shit and, and did, and, it, did you anyone know, let, solve that let mystery? the movie kind of go on uh um uh, did anyone solve it? Um, um, not. I mean, they solved a couple things. They managed to figure out it was uh, the Ron Yaris, but yeah, they got the wrong person. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I mean. I, I feel like the, the mystery yeah. came to them trying to okay. kill him. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Uh, it, it more Fair or enough. less revealed itself. Um, they didn't necessarily um, uh, solve anything. Per se. Right. Fair enough. Okay. So. Okay, well. All right. So this people and computers are in In Italy, at least. I'm in the 70s. <laughs> yeah, good place I to think that's a good, crimes. Good yeah. point to close it. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so if you're a criminal, move to Italy. Uh, good uh, good place to do some, to do some dirty yeah. deeds. Yeah, and if you're innocent, don't. I mean, then you, you have the Amanda Knox situation. Well, 
Yeah, don't move, Tiffany. <laughs> Definitely don't move. Don't. <laughs> okay, uh, so this has been the Film to Film podcast. Uh, you can tweet at us at ZA Film to Film. Uh, you can send us an email at ZAFilmToFilm at gmail.com. Uh, thank you, Meet, for appearing on this episode. Uh, it's been a whole ton of fun. Um, we have appreciated your presence here. Um, and uh, uh, we, Inyaki and I, will see you all next time. All right. Thank you. Had a great time. See ya.